join with me as we pray? Well, God, we come together as your people this morning to, to praise your name for life, for love, for joy. We thank you for the gift of this day. We thank you for the world through which we pass to come here to this place to worship you. We're grateful for the beauty of this sanctuary, for the wonderful sounds of the piano, the organ, for the, the ancient hymns of poets and the, the new songs of psalmists, for the history of service and sacrifice that adorns this church, for the gathering of Christian brothers and sisters who make up this congregation, and for the holy presence that settles on us as we pray, comforting us, encouraging us, sustaining us. Oh God, it is our prayer that you would reveal yourself to us even this hour, that we may know you and put our trust in you. And help us, Lord, likewise during the coming week to, to be still and to know the mysteries that surrounds our lives each and every moment. Save us from the busyness and the rushing around that so often makes up our lives and fills our days and keeps us from contemplating your presence. Let the confidence and the power that we're in Jesus Christ be also in us that we may be directed by your spirit and not by the world around us. Help us make the kind of commitment to you that will anchor our lives and prevent them from just being blown about by the winds of the ways of this world. Save us from all that's cheap, that's artificial, that's superficial, for every thought that debases, every appetite that devours, every ambition that blinds, and every devotion that misleads our hearts away from you. Oh God, we pray that you would let Christ be all in all in our lives. Let our love for you and your your world consume our hearts and minds. And I pray that you would let this church become an island of caring for people who are troubled and hurting and distressed for whatever reason. That you would give healing to those who are sick, be with those in the hospital, rehab facilities, nursing homes, and, and other places where they are receiving care. Grant comfort in the hearts of those who are sorrowful and grieving a loss in their life. And we ask that during this week that you would light our paths when darkness falls and help us to trust you when there appears to be no light at all. May we know that you are with us and help us to trust you as your spirit gives us the strength and the courage and the hope and the love and the grace we need to live lives that, that give you pleasure and reflect the life of your son. Oh God, as we prepare to join together in Holy Communion in a few moments, help us to know and realize in our hearts and minds your extravagant generosity as we remember the sacrifice you made for us in giving us your Son. And as we eat the bread and we drink from the cup, help us to fill new life, your life, filling our own. Help us to experience your forgiveness and mercy and grace and bring us together as a people in love and fellowship and common purpose. May our hope be reborn. It is your table, Lord, and it is a generous table of love and healing. So grant, even as we acknowledge our unworthiness, to know that you have made us worthy through the blood of Christ. So let this bread and this cup be an extravagant feast to our souls, 
renewing and restoring and rebuilding and rekindling and remaking us into the image of your Son, in whose name we pray this prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. If you join with me in our words of assurance. The Holy Spirit brings us grace and wisdom. By God's Spirit, we are forgiven. Our scripture lesson today should be a familiar passage to all of you since it's the same one I read last week. Having a season of Pentecost, having a season of any of the church seasons gives you the opportunity to address things that you might not have if you were just preaching one time. And so I want to do that again today. Hear these words from Acts 2. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them the ability. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean, they asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk, that's all. Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all of you fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God, I thank you for this gift that you have given us in your word, and I pray that you will be with us as we come here. Open our hearts and our minds. Help us to experience you clearly as we come here, and help us to receive the message that you want us to receive from this word, for it is in your name we offer our prayer. Amen. Today is the second Sunday of the season of Pentecost. 2,000 years ago, the Holy Spirit came to the church, and when it did, the church became a family of faith, and it became the joy of God on earth. And goodness knows the church needed some joy back in that day because they certainly weren't feeling very joyful until the Holy Spirit came pouring out on that group of people in that upper room. It had been 40 days since the resurrection of Jesus and the Jesus people were basically hiding because they were scared to death. Jesus had ascended to heaven and left them behind and he told them to go to Jerusalem and wait for the gift 
gift that he was going to send them. But Jerusalem had crucified Jesus just over a month before, and now Jesus is telling them to go back to Jerusalem where he had been crucified and just wait for this gift that he was going to send them. They had no idea what all of that meant. It was fine for Jesus to tell them to do that, except for one very important thing. Those people didn't know what they were waiting for. They had no idea what Jesus was talking about. And they were like most of us. They, they weren't great at waiting. So instead of just waiting, they decided they needed to do something. I sympathized very well with what Kimberly was saying a few minutes ago is that it's not always easy for her to just sit and be calm. I know how that feels. That's exactly how I am and quite often in situations. That's exactly what the early church was dealing with. They weren't good at waiting. They weren't good at just sitting and being calm. So they decided that they needed to do something. They were down to 11 disciples. Judas was gone. There were 12 tribes in ancient Israel and they thought the new kingdom was going going to be made up of 12 tribes because Jesus had picked 12 apostles and so they decided they needed a new apostle because they had to have 12 people to lead the 12 tribes. First they set out group qualifications for the new disciple and then they picked two men that would fit those qualifications. The first one was a man named Barsabbas and the second one was Matthias and then they decided to cast lots because they wanted God to pick the disciple that they wanted. We don't know for sure what lots were. That's been lost to history, but it was some it was an ancient version of dice and and the ancient Hebrews believed that if you cast the lots God would make them turn out the way that he wanted them to turn out. And so they cast the lots and when they did, the lots picked Matthias to be the new disciple. And that made Matthias just feel great because he thought God had picked him, had chosen him to to take Judas's place, but my guess is Barsabbas felt pretty bad after that because Barsabbas thought he had been rejected by God, and who wants to be rejected by God? Now, keep in mind, Jesus didn't tell the church to go pick a new disciple. He didn't say anything like that. He told them to go to Jerusalem and wait, but the church decided they needed to do something. The bottom line is the very first action that the church took after the ascension of Jesus was a mistake. And the result was Matthias felt great, but apparently Barsabbas felt rejected because he's never mentioned again in the scriptures and he's never mentioned again in the annals of church history. There's nothing that we know about Barsabbas because apparently he just disappeared from the service. You get the point here, folks. The first thing the church did was screw up. The first thing they did was make a mess out of something. So if you hear somebody say, if we could just get back to the New Testament church, everything would be fine. Just remember, the first thing the church did was the opposite of what Jesus told them to do. And they did it because they still didn't understand what Jesus meant by the kingdom of God. They were still trying to figure out what Jesus was trying to bring about and so they decided to just take it upon themselves to do something that Jesus didn't say do. Now 
the question that we have to ask ourselves this morning is what can we learn from that episode? Well, the first thing that we can learn is perfection isn't required to be the people of God. What's required is faithfulness. Yes, the church messed up right off the bat, but Matthias turned out to be a very good leader. He turned out to be a very good disciple. He was a man who actually died a martyr's death for the faith. He could not have been a better servant. He's mentioned several times in the Scripture after that event, which just goes to show God can turn our messes into miracles. He can take whatever mess has come to us, whether it's our fault and our choice or somebody else's fault that has reflected on us, he can take the messes and he can turn them into miracles. A mess doesn't have to be the end of the story with Jesus. Matthias made a powerful difference in Jesus and so did the church. Yes, their very first decision wasn't great, but they kept doing one thing after the other and one of the things they kept doing was something that every church should do if it wants to be empowered by the Spirit of God. They met together and they prayed. Acts 1.24, then they all prayed. And keep in mind, these people didn't even know what they were praying for. They didn't know what was coming, but they, that didn't stop them from praying. Jesus had promised to send them the power of the Holy Spirit. They didn't know what that meant, but they did know one thing. Jesus keeps his promises. So if Jesus made them a promise, he was going to keep that promise, and it was going to be good. So the church met to pray, and when they did, the power of the Holy Spirit came roaring into that room like a tornado, something that looked like fire started dancing over the heads of all of the people that were there in that room. They were just plain, ordinary, mostly illiterate people, and yet those plain, ordinary people came bursting out of that house speaking the languages of the people on the street who had come from other countries to be there for the festival of Pentecost. And then Peter started preaching this spirit-filled sermon, and, and the disciples started translating Peter's sermon into the languages of the people. And by the time the day was over, 3,000 new believers were baptized into the festival and the church had become such a force of change in the ancient world that not even persecution and death could stop its message. Why? Because the very first gift of the Holy Spirit was the gift of courage. One minute that church was terrified and it was hiding in the attic of a house. The next minute they came bursting out of that house with courage and, and they couldn't wait to tell the world about Jesus Christ. They had been empowered and now there was nothing that was going to be able to stop them. And the good news was they could tell the world everything that the world needed to know because the second gift of the Holy Spirit that came to them that day was the gift of communication and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages and the people on the street were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers before the Spirit came they couldn't even talk to the people out on the street but now by the power of the Holy Spirit the Jesus people started communicating the story of Jesus in such a powerful way that 
3,000 people decided they wanted to be part of this story. And those 3,000, after they were baptized, they went back to their home countries and they became the first missionaries of the faith. And the faith began to spread all through the country and it began to change every part of the Roman Empire over the next several hundred years. Communication is the hallmark of the Spirit of God. And there are lots of ways for the Spirit to communicate to people. In 1998, Bob Stockberger and I went on a mission trip to India. And the second week we were there, we were in Madras. And the second night that we were there, our host took us out to a very nice restaurant for dinner. It was the nicest restaurant that, that I went to on any of the mission trips that we went to in India. There was this really good band that was playing at that restaurant that night. About halfway through the dinner, this band started playing an instrumental version of Because he lives. Most of the people in that restaurant weren't Christians, so they just thought it was another song. But Bob and I both knew that if that band was playing Because He Lives, it was because that band was, they were believers and they, they were playing it for a reason. Folks, if I hadn't believed in miracles before that night, that night would have convinced me because the last thing anybody wants to have happen is for Bob Stockberger and me to lead music. Grizzly bears run in terror when I start singing. And yet, that night, Bob and I started singing. And when we did, the rest of our table started singing. And then everyone started smiling. The band started smiling. They recognized there were fellow believers there. They started playing that song with even more enthusiasm. But then, back in the back of that restaurant, another table of Christians started singing in another language. They were people we didn't even know were there. And then suddenly, this third group started singing in another part of that restaurant, and they were singing in another language. And, and when they did, the whole restaurant stopped, and, and the whole room started smiling. Most of those people in that restaurant didn't believe in Jesus, but what they did know was communication had just broken out, and that holy communication had created a spirit of unity and joy in that room, and even the non-believers in that room were happy to see what was happening there. The second gift of the Holy Spirit was the gift of communication. And that gift empowered the early church to come together as one. Whether they could talk to each other or not, it empowered those people to go into the world and start creating the universal party of God, to start including all of the people that they came across and to, and to, and to truly believe that the work that they were doing could spread out across the globe and could make a difference. Last week I heard something that I have heard many times before, but I hadn't heard it in a long time, and because of that, it, it kind of took me by surprise. I heard someone say, all our mission money should be spent right here because missions should start at home. I know exactly what they mean by that. I understand what they mean by that, but we need to remember something. When God looks at our world, 
He doesn't see towns. He doesn't see counties. He doesn't see states. He doesn't see nations. What God sees is his creation, and his creation is filled with his children. If God's, if God's child is hurting in, in, in Blacksburg Country Club, that ought to matter to us. If they're hurting on Merrimack Road, that ought to matter to us. If, if they're hurting in Ethiopia or in India or in Ukraine or in any Anywhere else, that ought to matter to us because we're God's children. We're all God's children. We're the family of God, which means in the communication of God's love, all missions are local missions. It's all belonging to God. It's not just our job to take care of our own. It's our job to take care of our own and others that we see who need that. The gift of communications produces responsibility and it deletes prejudices when it does that. God wants us to be good stewards of his world by being good stewards of the language of God's love. And he wants us to invest. He wants us to invest our lives, our talents, our time, and our possessions in communicating God's grace to everybody on earth. Why? Because God wants us to produce the third C that's the gift of the Holy Spirit, and that C is commitment. I don't believe God would have sent Jesus and the Holy Spirit to our world if he hadn't wanted us to do something with that. The Holy Spirit came to the church in power because God knew they were facing a mighty challenge. God was calling those people to turn the world upside down, to change the entire value system of the planet. And that was going to take radical commitment. Just going to church on Sunday morning was not going to cut it. The church was going to need to have radical commitment if it was going to produce radical transformation. Those people were going to have to be good stewards of their commitment. And that kind of commitment wasn't just for them, it's also for us. I'm not a big fan of the TV evangelist James Robinson. He's one of those guys who talks about the love of God with a frown on his face, and that always makes me a little nervous. However, I heard Robinson tell a story a few years ago that really struck me. He was talking about a TV interview that he had seen with the leader of the Hells Angels motorcycle gang. The Hells Angels are about as evil as any group of people that you'd ever want to find, but what impressed Robinson was the creed that every single member of the Hells Angels motorcycle gang has to pledge if they want to be part of that gang. The creed is, we're a family, we're together, we live together, we fight together, we die together, we stick together no matter what. James Robinson said, if an organization as truly hellish as the Hells Angels can live by a pledge like that, how much stronger should our pledge be as the people of God? Surely we ought to be more committed to each other and to God than the Hells Angels are to each other and to Satan. If you don't keep the Hells Angels pledge, if you don't keep the Hells Angels creed, they kill you. That's their commitment. You keep the creed or you die. God's commitment to us is, if you keep my creed, you'll live forever and you'll never, ever have to wonder if your life has made a difference in the world. And what's God's creed? 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This table that we are gathering around today is a reminder and it's a commitment. Whenever we take this meal, it reminds us that when the world was as bad as it could get, God became as good as he could be. The cross shows us how far God's love will go to save us, how far God's love will go to try to include us. And the gift of the Holy Spirit can empower us imperfect people to be committed to Jesus, to be committed to becoming God's mission of grace and hope and love in the world, the kind of love that the world really needs, particularly now. Jesus Christ loves us. He's on our side. He believes in us even when we're making a mess, even when our choices and when our lives are not what God would have them be. He still believes in us. And he can make all things new inside us and in our world if we'll just trust and believe in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, I ask you to be with us as we gather around this table. I ask you to fill us with your power and with your presence. I ask you to fill us with your love and with your grace. I ask you to help us to know how powerful the communication is that this table gives to us. This meal that we are about to celebrate, it, it shows to us very clearly how important we are to the world and how much love you have for your children. It shows exactly what we are supposed to accomplish. It shows what we are supposed to be. And it reminds us that even when we are making a mess out of things, you still believe in your church. You still believe in your people. You believe in what we can become and what we can do and what we can accomplish if we will walk together in your spirit. Help us, Lord, to experience the wonder of that grace as we gather here today. Help us to be reminded of what you've done for us and what you believe we can do through you. Make it so, Lord Jesus, for it's in your name we pray. Amen. On the night that he was handed over for suffering and death, Jesus took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Whenever you eat this, do this in remembrance of me.
the body of Christ. Let's eat together. After they had eaten, Jesus took a cup and he blessed it. And he said, this is the blood of the new covenant that is given to you for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. The blood of Christ. Let's drink together. Scripture said that when they had finished their meal, they sang a hymn together. Let's stand and sing the first verse of Blessed Be the Tie That Binds. to commit your life to Jesus Christ for the first time. We'll be standing here at the front of the church and we would love to talk to you about that and help you to get started the next step of that process, which is Christian baptism. If you would like to join our church and be part of our fellowship, we want to have you. If you will come and let us know that or if you'll tell any other staff member, we'll be happy to get you started on that journey. As we leave this place, let us go with the Spirit of God and let us know that the church didn't change things because they all gathered back together and worship. They changed things because they took what they had, what they experienced in worship into the world. Let us go into the world to become the church and let us do the best we can to make a difference everywhere we go. Now may the Lord bless and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and give you peace this day and every day, now and forevermore. Amen. God bless you, everyone. Mm -hmm.